All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 30th day of March 2021. And I do like to remind you that I'm the editor of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. You can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Call our office here in New York to sign up as well, 718-457-1426 during normal work hours. We also like to put in a plug for my friend Chen Lin. Uh, what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? Especially if you have an interest in the biotech sector. And he has really come up with some very exciting stories, uh, a couple of which I'm following in my own newsletter uh, in the biotech sector. So what is Chen buying? What is Chen selling? And uh, we also uh, would like to put in a plug for Michael Oliver, especially when he's on our show uh, he is with us today, um, and uh, we'll, we'll get to Michael in just a minute. It's OliverMSA.com for his excellent work. Uh, we want to thank all of you for listening and making this show one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. Also, encourage you to send along questions, whatever comments, questions you might have. Send them along to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com, questions and number four, taylor at gmail.com. And we do want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. This week's sponsors are Novo Resources, Sitka Gold Corp, El Oro Resources, Irving Resources, Hannon Metals, Fury Gold Mines, Great Bear Resources, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, and Firefox Gold. I've titled today's show, President Biden's Next $3 Trillion Boondoggle. David Stockman, Michael Oliver, and Michael Timmons are guests in this week's show. Leave it up to the New York Times to remind us why prosperity is not just around the corner, and that's regardless of whether or not the force feeding of $6 trillion of everything bailouts into the economy during the past 365 days causes the 2021 GDP stats to make up for the 2020 plunge brought on by the virus patrol, end of quote. That's a quote from David Stockman. In his March 23 Stockman's Corner article discussing why the current exponential trend in government spending is leading the U.S. economy not to a more productive economy, but rather toward a cataclysmic end. And more importantly, I want to ask David what advice he may have for common folks given that view. And David will be with us in the second half of today's show. After our first uh, commercial break, Michael Timmons, he's the president and CEO of Fury Gold Mines will be with me to talk about some very solid news that was announced this morning surrounding that company's Euclair project. That's a gold project in Quebec. Uh, it is a, certainly an exciting story, and uh, the uh, Fury Gold Mines company has several projects that I think are very 
make this company, in my opinion, very undervalued. But right now, I'm really happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me once again uh, to share his thoughts on key markets. And uh, so thank you so much for uh, joining us today, Michael. And of course, I'm sure on everybody's mind today, uh, you know, since, well, I don't know, everybody, but a lot of people that listen to this show are certainly uh, invested in gold one way or another, either through the shares or through the bullion. Uh, and gold has just really not been able to rise at all, despite all of this massive monetary stimulus. What are your thoughts about gold, and what are your, uh, what are your technicals telling you? Well, our technicals are telling us that, um, and we've had this view for some months now, that gold is pretty much in link with T-bonds, or the popular ETF TLT, which is a long mm-hmm. government bond ETF, in terms of their trend direction their behavior up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was as rates have risen uh, over the last, uh, especially since January. Gold has dropped since the rally high in January. And uh, in coincident with the T-bonds, not quite as severely and straight down as, as the T-bonds have. Gold is more eroded. And to give you a number, just for example, gold doubled between late 2018 and the summer of 2020. Doubled. Okay. Mm-hmm. And over the last eight full months, from top daily close to today's low close, which, by the way, is not a new low in price for gold. Gold made a lower low earlier this month. It came close today. Uh, it was a 17.8% pullback. <laughs> it took eight yeah. months for gold to give up 17.8%. Uh-huh. Now, I know when you look at a chart especially if you're real close up and looking at dailies or weeklies, it looks mm-hmm. very severe. Mm-hmm. But when you stand back and look at two or three, four years of gold action, monthly bar chart, for example, mm-hmm. we had a thunderbolt of an advance, the first bull leg. Okay? Again, it doubled the price, and I don't think that's the end of it. And now it's taken eight months to arm wrestle 17.8% pullback. Now, our analysis of the T-bonds and of gold argues that what's happened momentum-wise, not price, the price chart continues to look staircasingly lower, you know, uh, is that it looks like basing action. In fact, ever since November, even though we've lost price since November, it looks to us like basing action. And if we flip it upside down and look at the S&P 500, it looks like monthly momentum topping action. So Mm -hmm. I think April's going to be interesting, and I think it may surprise people. Uh, who are now fearful of the gold drop, think T-bonds are going to continue to rise and yield, drop in price forever, and the S&P is going to go up forever. (laughs) I think those people are going to be shocked because I think there's going to be a turnaround. As for silver, uh, which we still favor over gold, though lately it's been weaker than gold the last several days especially, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, it is still $2 above the lower price it's seen in the last eight months, which, by the way, occurred several weeks after its high, whereas we got up to 29-plus in August. A couple of weeks later, you're down to 22, under 22. Mm-hmm. We're, we're under 24 right now, just barely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so silver is really sort of in the, the upper part of the lower half of its range of the last eight months, unlike gold, which is staircased lower. Silver has been in a box. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we're... Right now, my thought is not, gee, should I get out? It's more, should I double my position mm-hmm. in gold and silver-related? Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I'm, le- I'm in that, that's my bias right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm looking for any excuse right now. 
uh, and I think I'll get some as soon as we roll into April uh, mm-hmm. to initiate add to positions. So mm-hmm. that's that's our thought. Well, that's certainly the way it is. I mean, silver is always more volatile, and so you know when the bull markets are when the uh, precious metals are in an uptrend, silver usually outperforms gold, and then the downside it it usually goes down more than gold. So. That's uh, yep. it's just the way it is, right? So I guess you it's have more to, emotional. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. yeah. And there's a more emotional, and you have more, more chance once if you have a good reading of the upside. So we'll be watching uh, for your, uh, uh, for your, for your key, you know, for your uh, hints on on which way you think markets are going. So we're in a basing phase right now. You think perhaps we could see a turn in April? Then I guess it, possibly. Yes, and, uh, evident on momentum indicators, not so much on the price. Price is always sort of delusional. You know, it always looks terrible at a at yeah. low. And it looks mm-hmm. great at a high. Uh, mm-hmm. Momentum usually gives you warnings about yeah. pending trend change. Right now, all of our stuff we see says uh, be more looking for a bottom. Don't be looking for further decline. Uh, certainly not sustained decline. Well, I'm, I certainly over the years that I've followed your work, that momentum um, indicator, you always show that momentum chart below the price chart. And that really has been very, very helpful in uh, you know in convincing me not to not to panic out of gold a lot of times or whatever the market is uh, very very helpful Michael I think that's one of the things that it's really what makes your work stand out what about the dollar then um, the dollar is looking strong on the index strong quote unquote right. on, okay. on the index the dollar really has it's impressed a lot of people which is almost makes me chuckle because Right now, it's three and a half percent off of its low of, of early this year. Uh-huh. Okay, three and a half percent of groveling rally. Uh-huh. Our um, intermediate time scale uh, measures of the dollar suggest it's 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 more of a short here than anything else. Also, you're in the lower quadrant of the last six year price range in the dollar. The mm. lowest price the dollar saw since late 2014, dollar index I'm talking about, was mm-hmm. just above 88 level. The highest it saw was 103 and a half, almost 104 back in 2017. Right now we're trading at 93. So we're, we're three, three, three or so points, almost 4% off the low, but it's taken us all this many months to get up here. I don't think it's a sustained rally. I think it's just a an interrupt interruptive upside correction in the dollar after last summer's very sharp drop in the dollar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't trust that to sustain on the upside, and that, that's mm-hmm. probably going to be one of the factors that helps gold here uh, in this next quarter is a mm-hmm. rollover of that dollar rally. Mm-hmm. Well, it, uh, it would certainly seem uh, like a, a very logical uh, relationship there. So. Uh, just a comment on Bitcoin, perhaps, Michael. I know that you you track all of these things and you know all kinds of markets that people we don't talk about very often. Uh, Bitcoin, how does that look to you? Well, it, it's still in positive trend uh, via via long term metrics that we use, um, and it but it's built structure below it. Meaning, when you look at a momentum chart, there are levels you don't want to go back down to, mm-hmm. uh, and they're probably right now in the high 40,000s. We're in the high 50,000s, I think, right now. Uh, so it's, it's very volatile. Uh, we know that, uh, it's, it, meaning it's very enthusiastic, uh, it's, which is not necessarily good. Uh, also, it, our problem with Bitcoin is not that it's not ultimately viable as a means of exchange, mm-hmm. but that governments are going to clamp down on it. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're going to have to is because to the extent that, that – cryptocurrencies supplant 
the usage of fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. It undercuts central banks' ability to control money supply, have an impact on interest rates, etc., because this, this non-governmental money is out there competing with them. So right. we've heard phrases from Yellen uh, accusing Bitcoin of criminal type behavior mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as if she's you know moved to regulate or prosecute it or something and right. the same with Lagarde of the ECB they both made statements that are very nasty about cryptocurrencies which to me is a hint of future policy so mm-hmm. I think as Bitcoin gains an audience um, it becomes more and more threatened by central banks and federal governments yeah, that's an issue well, that has not been debated. I don't think much by the people buying Bitcoin. No, well, we are just about out of time, but I would uh, just like to get a quick comment. Isn't that also true of gold, though? Well, yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, Greenspan, Roosevelt, Greenspan you, talked about it. Yeah, yeah. The, remember Roosevelt? Uh, you know, banned it uh, domestically, and you had to turn your gold in, in and so forth. But uh, I just you sit back and think about it a minute here. It's highly unlikely they'll get away with that. Gold is so pervasive now. So many people, even people who aren't uh, free market oriented, they own gold. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's insurance for them. It's uh, safety for them. Uh, if you try to take that away from them, uh, there'll be a rebellion. Uh, mm-hmm. You will have <laughs> massive violation of the law if they try to. I don't think they'll do it, uh, attempt mm-hmm. to do anything about banning gold. Uh, well, if anything... If, if anything, we might have to see a reassertion of gold as money in some form or another. Uh, it perhaps shock me uh, that the Chinese uh, take the lead on yeah, that, and maybe right. even the Russians, yeah. uh, in terms of backing their currencies with gold. And then uh, the thought process will creep across the world at some point as the monetary crisis deepens and deepens. Yeah, well, that's certainly an idea that Alistair McLeod has and has talked about on this show. And. Uh, we, we shall see. It's certainly, uh, but anyway, gold's in a basing, gold, silver in a basing process, as, as are the, uh, uh, the T-bonds. So uh, we'll watch, and maybe April we get a turnaround. And April is, uh, yep. I guess it starts, starts in about two days. So, All right, Michael, well, thank, thank you so much for your thoughts. Again, always welcome. Always, uh, always great to have you. Thank you so much for being with thank us. Thank you, Jake. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but uh, don't go away because, Michael, we're going to be all talking to another Michael. Uh, and um, he's uh, that's Michael Timmons uh, with a very interesting, a very I think up and coming company, Fury Gold Mines, that has several very very strong projects. And he's going to talk to us about some news that the company just put out this morning. So we'll be right back with Michael Timmons. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Fury Gold Mines is a Canadian exploration and development company committed to aggressively growing its scalable, high-grade gold assets across its 3.5 million ounce portfolio. Led by a management team of proven explorers and developers, Fury aims to generate major catalysts and performance per share by advancing exploration campaigns across Canada. Fury is well positioned to create value for investors with low risk development growth and the potential for a new major discovery. Fury Gold Mines trades on the TSX and NYSE American under Fury. To learn more, go to FuryGoldMines.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back, Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me Michael Timmons, the president and CEO and a director of Fury Gold Mines. It's a company that I'm covering in my newsletter uh, and uh, one that I'm quite excited about. It's a company that has several, I think, very, very, very good projects uh, that it's developing, and it has the management team and, the, I think, the personnel to, to really succeed. Uh, Michael has uh, had over 20 years of experience as a mining executive uh, from his work with a, with a number of companies, uh, names like Agnigal Eagle, uh, Placer Dome, and he was uh, vice president of corporate development at Agnigal Eagle, where he played a key role in the development of the Kittle mine in northern Finland uh, and in the acquisition of a Cisco mining uh, for $3.9 billion. So. He's had a, a great, uh, a lot of experience, and he's coming uh, to to head up uh, Fury Gold Mines. He's um, uh, he's been there now for a little while. I guess I, I'm thinking about a year or so. But um, Fury Gold Mines trades uh, in Toronto. It actually trades in the New York Stock Exchange as well under the symbol FURY, um, both both on in Toronto and in the U.S. Uh, I saw this morning in U.S. dollars it was a dollar sixteen. 117 million shares thereabouts, about 137 million market cap in U.S. money, which I think is a very modest market cap given all this company has going. It has various projects. Uh, we want to talk today about the Eclair project, which is, uh, I would say, their most advanced project, but it's in Committee Bay. That's in, in Nunavut. There's uh, a couple of projects in Nunavut, and it's out uh, Homestake Ridge out in the West Coast out in British Columbia. So it has a lot of things going on, and uh, so we're really happy to have Michael with us again. Thanks for joining me, Michael. Thank you, Jay. Happy to be here. Well, it's good to have you here. And I, I just, uh, you know, you, Fury has had a, a preliminary economic assessment in 2018, $1,250 gold. This is on the Euclid project, uh, 5% discounted net present value of $260 million. That's a $1,250 gold. Um, but you're not certainly not content, and you've been working hard at expanding the project, I guess. And um, you had some news that came out today, I think, is, is very encouraging in that regard. Can you talk about um, what your objectives are, first of all, for Eclair, what the company's objectives are, and then perhaps talk about today's news and, uh, and how that impacts or, or how that, where that, uh, you know, what, what impact that might have on your plans going forward? Sure. Uh, as we've said previously, our aim at Eau Claire in Quebec over the next 36 months is to double the current 1 million ounce resource. That was what we said out of the gate five months ago when we became a company. Uh, it's not what you see is what you get at Eau Claire. There's, there's a, a vast amount of, of growth potential that we saw when we were doing our due diligence. And certainly, as we're putting more and more drill results out, uh, including the one that you referenced that we put out earlier today, we're starting to kind of fill in that proof of concept that mm-hmm. you know we can actually uh, double the resource. Uh, the first drill, pro- the first drill program uh, again was really designed to kind of survey the deposit, 
and the surrounding deposit trend to test areas of, of obvious expansion and extension that a lot of projects do have, but also look to target new areas of potential and to get a view as early as possible as to whether we can do this rescaling. Is it achievable or not? Um, mm-hmm. And with the most recent results we put out, we believe that it is. And so the re- results we put out this morning are from our target B panel at Eau Claire. Mm-hmm. You know, a meter of 15, 1.3 meters of almost 9, and together with the previ- annou- previously announced B1 hole, which was 3 meters of about 2.6, suggest um, quite a significant fluid pathway and the continuation of that structure 600, 600 meters away, which, mm. um, you know, a lot more drilling is required to really say what it is and all the confirmation drilling in behind that. But, you know, for us, even at this early stage, uh, significant expansion potential has been demonstrated in our view. Just as important with the drilling announcement uh, we put out this morning was the fact that we hit a second structure at depth says in behind that panel. It's on mm-hmm. another contact, which really could, you know, change the game if that tracks back to surface. I mean, we can, mm-hmm. always, we can always say, you know, we caught a fish this big, you know, and if that actually does track back to surface, it's going to be something, it's going to be something special. Um, we've, we're repositioning a drill to go and test the depth extensions of, of the surface expression, right? So, you know, 2.6 meters of 13, 1.5 at 12 uh, near surface. Again, uh, for Eau Claire, uh, and to your earlier point, it is early days. We're just starting out with this project. Um, but, you know, uh, we're obviously super excited about the results that we're seeing with this, with this deliberate uh, and bold step-out drilling that we've done. So we've been active for only four months, uh, with, with uh, you know, technically active, um, and I'm pretty proud so far what the technical team has been able to deliver to date. Yeah, so what is the sort of the footprint of the project then, your, your existing resource? Um, what, what is it now? The existing resource is... The existing resource is around a million ounces at about eight mm-hmm. grams per ton. Mm-hmm. Wow, from our, that's from, uh, our, from our perspective. From our perspective, at a, at a, at a three point five gram per ton cutoff grade in, in the PEA that you referenced, mm-hmm. there's one point three million ounces at six point five. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay, and uh, I, I suppose, well, of course, it's a, it's always dynamic. The, the everything's changing, and then when you do a PEA, so by the time you finished it. The prices have changed. The costs have changed. Everything else. So, uh, you so you expect if you get a double, you do another another economic assessment. If you double the resource, we do another economic assessment. I think I think if we you know if we, over the next twenty four to thirty six months we continue to drill, we can continue to build out and demonstrate scale. The other mm-hmm. half of our project is actually all of the in, all of the deposit drilling or the infill drilling we're doing in and around. Uh, some of these resource blocks that we're trying to stitch mm-hmm. together back up at the resource proper, and mm-hmm. so as we go as we go and do that, that's obviously going to lead lead out to you know more and more drill results outside of the of the current resource. And I think that you know the next thing people can expect from us is a is a, a resource update. Mm-hmm. Parallel to what we're doing with exploration, we're obviously doing kind of the less sexy stuff, which is all that background environmental and geotech and mining studies and yeah. um, <laughs> metallurgical production testing and everything else. And so by the time 24, 36 months comes along and we have, we have a, um, quite a nice updated resource, right, right after that, as, as quickly as we can, we're going to come out with a pre-feasibility study and not redo uh, another PEA. 
Uh, okay, that would that would make sense, and uh, because of all that other work you're doing, that's really moving towards production. Uh, is the ultimate goal then is to get Eclair into production uh, on your own? Absolutely. Yeah, because you absolutely. have the skill sets and, and there. Yeah. It, 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 absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the top three people of the company are from you know Goldcorp, Agnico, and uh, and Newmont. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're, we're, you know, obviously with, you know, decades and decades of experience working at the majors, we're more than happy to come down cap, uh, mm-hmm. grab a project that we can see that fits directly on top of our skill sets and mm-hmm. then we can kind of drive, drive into production. Right. I mean, our, our, our core skills are de-risking projects, taking, taking big chances to drill these things out. Uh, you know, let's not forget that Eau Claire has been around for a long time. Right. Yes, it so, has. Uh-huh. You know, this, this, thing, this thing has been drilled for 20 years, right? And what we want to do is, you know, you know, we, you know, we would love to double this thing in 20 weeks, right? <laughs> and we're used yeah. to, when, when, we, when we do the exploration, um, it's, it's almost like a fill or kill perspective when yeah. it comes in, right? Let's go and find out how big this thing can be ultimately and then design a, a program around that. I mean, it, it, all, it always should be that simple. When, when, when mm-hmm. guys uh, move, it, move projects ahead. Michael, I would like to conceptually, uh, in my own mind, see what you're talking about, this new structure that you found that may be a game changer. I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it could be very important. Is there a place on your website, um, is there some, are there some illustrations where people might be able to go and see that, conceive and conceptually see what you're talking about and what you put out in your press release? Absolutely. Um, you would go. The best place to go is to our uh, corporate presentation that should be updated now on the okay. deck. Okay. On the web. Uh, sorry, on the on the website, starting mm-hmm. on slide nine. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go there and uh, maybe comment on it this week in my in my letter. Um, so you you also have a lot of several other projects that are very very interesting for sh- for sure. The Committee Bay project up there. Your season is very short uh, up there in Nunavut, but what what might be going on there this year? What might we look forward to? Yeah, you know, I always love talking about Nunavut. People, uh, people, people love it, uh, and we get more and more questions about it as we, you know, you know, it's, it's spring. People start to think, hey, you know, what's the group going to do this summer? Uh, you know, and and to your point, uh, you know, this is this is elephant country. It's part of the world where. You know, we go up, and probably one of the last places around where you can legitimately go out all by yourself and find a large-scale, high-grade gold deposit. Um, we'll be, we're going to be drilling three bluffs, right? The further north you go up in Canada, uh, you have to have a critical mass. You have to have a critical mass of size in order to justify the costs of, uh, you know, suggesting to people that you, you want to build a mining operation. Yep, and you also have to have a uh, critical mass of grade, we have a very mm-hmm. nice, very tightly packed um, 1.25 million ounce resource at over 7.5 grams per ton. So from a grade perspective, we're there. And so it's just a matter of, again, the next, you know, next time horizon, you know, 24, mm-hmm. 36 months of, of, of expanding that resource. And we think we can double that resource, which will take us halfway to, the, to, to that um, you know, 5 million ounce Real critical mass that, you, uh, that one would need in order to kind of get over the the um, the ec- economics hump that you basically need to get uh, need to get through. 
Yeah. We're going to look so at, talk- uh, there's, something, there's something called the AK Corridor. That's about 15 kilometers to the north, northwest, mm-hmm. um, which is another big one that we're going to look at. And then finally, we're going to step out over to our Raven Project, which is a structural control target with historical high-grade intercepts back, uh, back drilling in um, 2005. So these haven't been followed up. And so we're going to do, we've, we've decided to kind of pivot over there as well, see if we, we can get anything out of, that, uh, out of that satellite deposit. So it's pretty exciting up there this summer. Good. Um, and the drills will start turning. Uh, you're, you're going to do some drilling there this year? It will be, it will be drilling. It will be a minimum of uh, 5,000 meters, right? Mm-hmm. And we will probably spool up uh, at some point in, in June. Because of COVID, we were unable to do a spring mobilization of fuel, and so what we want to do is what we want to do now is probably is likely access uh, Nunavut through northern Manitoba rather than rather than again um, kind of going through Rankin or, or impacting any of the uh, any of any of the towns. I think will be be, be surgical, uh, move in, get the drilling done, uh, and and uh, and get out. They're, 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 you know. You know, as these vaccines go out and as people get more comfortable with, uh, you know, uh, proximity and everything else, I, think, I still think, given uh, all of the vulnerable communities that we have up north, that we, mm-hmm. should, um, you know, that we should be responsible and go in and you know, get the work done and get out. All right. Uh, just with uh, about 30 seconds or so left, what about Homestake Ridge? Can you make any comments on, on that in British Columbia? Homestake Ridge... Um, the program plans right now to follow up on a lot of the historical high-grade hits, which the guys haven't really been able to follow up on because last year they were focusing on this uh, 2020 PEA uh, that, that they put out. Um, it's a fun project to drill, easy access, which is an interesting comment given that it's in the BC's Golden Triangle, which is notorious for um, you know, crazy topography, tough, tough you know, helicopter-supported. Um, we're blessed with infrastructure being at the southern tip of the Golden Triangle, and we're going to go up there and, fo- and uh, follow up on, on that project. Again, that's, you know, it's, you know 80% gold, 20% silver. Uh, our focus with the drilling and the work is going to be on the homestake, uh, you know, predominantly silver zone. And so we're, we're pretty excited to kind of extend that. And again, uh, you know, it's not unlike Eau Claire where we're going to be, you know, hammering the resource, doing some, some significant step outs, uh, you know, uh, in, in, you know, in, 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 Relation to that project, uh, and then some special things as we as we drill deep and and look to, for some more exotic targets uh, with with respect to exploration. All right, very good. We'll have to leave it go at that, uh, Michael. Thank you so much for being with us. A lot of things to keep an eye on, and we're certainly going to want to do that. Um, I think it's uh, it's a company that's probably not gotten the attention it deserves, but that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you here. Um, lots to lots to look forward to. I think so. Thank you so much for being with us and. We'll look to keep up with you in the future as well. Perfect. Thank you, Jay. All righty, folks. Uh, that is uh, it for this segment. Uh, David Stockman's coming with us after the uh, commercial break, so don't go away. We'll be right back with David Stockman. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. Great Bear Resources, trading under GBR on the TSXV 
and GTBAF on the OTCQX is a gold exploration company focused on their district-scale Dixie project in the renowned Red Lake Mining District of Ontario. Having made multiple high-grade near-surface gold discoveries, GBR's capital efficiency has allowed them to be fully funded to complete a very active 300,000-meter drill program through 2021. Stay up to date on what's been considered one of the best-performing exploration stocks in the last three years by visiting greatbearresources.ca. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have David Stockman with me once again. It's been a number of months since he's last been on the show. And I imagine most of you know David Stockman. Uh, certainly, you've seen him on television or on the business channels and so forth. But, um, you know, he's, uh, maybe some of the younger people don't know David, but those of us at my age certainly do because he was uh, in the news in a big way during the Reagan administration. He worked there as director of office management and budget from 1981 to 1985. Uh, prior to that, he had been a member of Congress from the state of Michigan. Uh, and then after his uh, politi- after he worked in politics, then he went to work at Blackstone Group and uh, also Solomon Brothers. So he's had both the political and the Wall Street experience. I think he has a sense coming from Michigan and, and coming from a family that, uh, well, I don't think David had a silver spoon put in his mouth. So he um, so he so he sort of gets middle America and people that actually create wealth actually do things uh, to make our lives better as opposed to people that just uh, uh, pick pockets on Wall Street. So it's always very helpful to have David, and I, I'm really glad that he could join us again. Thanks for being with us, David. Well, thank you, and thanks for that introduction. Uh, your uh, words there reminded me of my campaign theme way back in 1976 when I first ran for Congress and was elected uh, as a Republican congressman from Michigan when I was 29 years of age. (laughs) And uh, I thought I'd go to Washington and turn things upside down and straighten people out. And I spent uh, a decade trying to do that, both in Congress uh, and in the White House. And, uh, you know, the resistance ended up being far more formidable than I could have ever imagined as a young man. And now here we are, you know, 35 years later, and we're up against the same forces, all the only, you know, double, triple, quadruple, quadruple. Uh, in, in magnitude. Uh, yeah. Things are going on today, like uh, the size of the federal annual deficits, the rate at which the national debt is soaring, the rate at which the Fed is printing money, $120 billion per month. These kinds of things may sound like uh, par for the course to younger people or Mm -hmm. people who have not been paying uh, attention until recently. But if you go back to my own lifetime in Washington, these ideas would have been considered 
crazy, totally, oh, absolutely. Uh, unorthodox, even by, uh, you know, liberal Democrats at the time. I'm not talking yeah, just no. about Republicans. No, so uh, we've drifted so far off the deep end, I was saying the other day, that it's almost impossible to know where the shore is any longer. Yeah. So I think there's a lot to talk about here, and uh, a lot of it is uh, pretty serious and dangerous stuff that people need to be aware of. Well, for sure. Well, David, don't you think that, um, I mean, I, th- I have to think that maybe you could see that unless this budget was gotten under control, that it would keep getting worse. I mean, it's like a little bit like any addiction. The more you do, the more, the more addicted you, you know, the more you partake yeah. of something that, that, that is addictive, the more you become addictive. And yeah. it seems to me that we are in a place where there's no turning. It becomes harder and harder to right the ship the longer you go. And, and uh, you know, I think it's just impossible now, politically impossible, and the system has to break down. You know, I wanted to ask you what really got me to pick up the phone and, and, and try to get you on the show again was an article you wrote, Sleepy Joe's Next $3 Trillion Boondoggle. Um, right. I, and before we get into that, though, I'd like to just, just have you tell people, uh, you know, your service, uh, your David Stockman's cor- a Contra Corner, which I subscribe to. Tell the tell our listeners what your objective is with this uh, with almost a daily article, a daily article that you put out, right? Yeah, it's it's a daily newsletter. It's uh, totally independent. It's my thinking. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, kind of unusual in the sense that it's based on almost fifty years of experience, both starting in Middle America on a farm. Uh, ending up in congressman as a young, right, uh, you know, conservative supply sider, um, experiencing uh, the effort by the Reagan administration to turn the ship of state, and then uh, another couple of decades on Wall Street. Very few people have that range of experience, yeah. and I don't claim to be, you know, any more wise or brilliant than the next guy, but when you... Uh, put all that experience together and create some filters and, and have some historically rooted vantage point that is more than just what I call the recency bias of whatever they were saying on, you know, CNBC or CNN or, or the Washington Post or the rest of them yesterday or last week. I think you get a, a different perspective uh, that's highly useful. So that's what I do every day, five days a week. And my publication, Contra Corner. So one day it's about some developments uh, on Wall Street. The next day it's about Sleepy Joe's next $3 trillion boondoggle. Um, Another day it's about what's the real facts and uh, truth about uh, the COVID uh, disaster that we're going through now and the lockdowns and, you know, the Fauci, Dr. Fauci's of the world telling us, uh, you know, that doom is still upon us. So I, I address all of these because uh, I think people uh, in their uh, political life or their investment uh, uh, endeavors um, need perspective, uh, need a framework, uh, need some uh, historical uh, grounding uh, to interpret uh, the developments and facts that uh, constantly bombard us day, day in and day out in this uh, 24-7 world. So that's really what... Uh, David Stockman's Contra Corner does. 
Uh, it's a subscription service. Uh, it's a dollar a day. I a dollar a day. That, I consider that pretty uh, reasonable. It's a half a Starbucks <laughs> if you're addicted to that. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, I have a lot of subscribers. So people find it pretty uh, useful for a lot of reasons. I don't give investment advice. I don't uh, tell people what stock to be buying or selling no. or where gold is going or whether Bitcoin uh, is going to 100000 or a 1000 um, uh, But I do provide perspective to help people understand that we're in the most massive financial bubble in recorded history and that everything is being flated, the good, the bad, and the indifferent. It's sort of, Jay, like that old saw you've heard about what happens when the police raid the house of ill repute. And the answer is, well, they carry out the good girls, the bad girls, and the piano player, too. And uh, what I'm saying, you know, recently is everything is being carried, uh, taken to absurd levels uh, by this overall bubble. But when it busts, uh, you know, uh, Katie, bar the door, get out of the way, because everything is going to come down uh, the, you know, those that deserve massive contraction like uh, Tesla, which, you know, valued it like it was valued at 1,200 times its net income, if you believe that's net income, and it really yeah. isn't, you know, it's just uh, uh, regulatory credits uh, captured uh, because of this whole, uh, you know, carbon thing. Mm -hmm. But uh, anyway, those are the, that's the kind of um, uh, perspective uh, I provide in um it's the kind of thing I'm sure we're going to be talking about today. Right. Uh, so let's get into this uh, Sleepy Joe's $3 trillion boondoggle. Um, in that article, you referred to a New York Times supposedly leak. It was, you know, leak in quotes. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, right. I think the leaks are very suspicious leaks these days. But it suggested that the Biden administration would propose a $3 trillion so-called stimulus program. I, I guess maybe they've sort of come out with that and are talking about it. I think I heard something at lunch today about that. It would be an infrastructure, education, workforce development, and fighting climate change uh, with the aim of making the economy more productive. Well, that's the, that's the propaganda anyway. And it says in your article, you, you not only made it clear that you're not buying the Times notion or the notion that things are going to get better as a result of it. And you said, and I quote, indeed, the New York Times write-up of the last, of the latest Biden boondoggle tells you all you need to know about why we do not have just a standardized, a standard-sized economic slump ahead, but a veritable calamity. So talk to us a little bit about why this is more, why what you see coming is more than just a garden variety recession. Yeah, well, you know, in the old days, we used to have this saying, uh, in fact, Ronald Reagan used to say that, uh, you know, the most dangerous words in the world are, are I'm from the government and I'm here to help you. Right. I, I think uh, a variation of that is Biden's <laughs> plan, which I guess is going to be detailed in some uh, length uh, tomorrow, uh, which uh, claims uh, it's going to make the Capital, the American capitalist economy more productive to pile another three or four trillion spending on top of, and that's what I was addressing in this article, the veritable explosion of spending that we've had in the year since the whole COVID lockdown uh, thing started in March. We are now with this 1.9 trillion uh, so-called COVID relief measure we're now $6 trillion into this 
uh, in a matter of uh, just 12 months. They've, they've added $6 trillion. And one of the things I did in this article is to say, you know, we have gotten so far, uh, you know, off the deep end here and out of control that they're fixing problems two, three, five times over um, and, uh, you know, not even uh, uh, blinking twice about it. For instance, I computed very carefully uh, on a month-to-month basis the a- actual loss of wage and salary income since the February 2020 peak. Now, remember, that uh-huh. was when Donald Trump was saying, you know, it's the greatest economy ever. No one has, had seen, uh, you know, a hint of COVID really coming. That was the peak of the uh, expansion of the cycle. Income, wage and salary income was about $805 million, billion that month. So I said, well, what if the COVID and the lockdowns and all of the, uh, what I call economic martial law had not come along and totally uh, decapitated the economy and we had stayed at $805 billion a month of wages and salaries versus mm-hmm. what actually happened? Mm-hmm. What was the shortfall uh, through uh, January this year? The answer was you know, about uh, $280 billion. Well, now, $280 billion may sound like a big number, but just the stimmy checks alone, you know, uh, the 1,400 we got, the 600 before that, the 1,200 before that, add up uh, to almost a trillion dollars, okay? And then (laughs) if we add on top of that, all of the additional unemployment benefits that have been put in these uh, so-called what I call everything bailouts, mm-hmm. you have another uh, $600 billion. Now, that's, that's not the state programs which were there and would have taken care of most of the layoffs uh, anyway. But on top of that, remember, they were giving 600 uh, extra a week, and now it's 300 extra a week, yeah. and a lot of different uh, people have been added to the coverage. So what I'm trying to get at here is that just in the STEMI checks and in the unemployment uh, add-ons or top-ups, we have $1.6 trillion going into households, bank accounts of uh, workers, that is a number roughly six times bigger than the loss of wages and salaries during the period in which all this money has been uh, appropriated. So what what I'm trying to say is uh, this is out of control. It is, uh, and it's happening for a reason that we go back to over and over again, and that is the Fed is the great enabler. It's made it all possible. You were mentioning you know, the addictive uh, personality before Mm -hmm. uh, the more, you you know, the more you use, the more you want, but there's always a fixer, okay? The addict doesn't remain an addict very long without a fixer, and the Fed is the fixer. Right. Because I I was there. We were talking about this in the (laughs) 70s and the 80s when the Fed wasn't printing the money, when you had Paul Volcker, Paul Volcker saying, you know, we're going to have to do what we have to do to get inflation under control and get some money uh, restored. There was no Fed fixer to monetize the debt. Uh, to uh, basically, you know, uh, snatch credits from thin air and pump 120 billion a month uh, into Wall Street to, to you know, buy uh, that uh, volume of uh, debt and thereby keep interest rates from reflecting uh, the true supply-demand balance. So it's been the Fed. 
year after year, especially after the late 80s, that has come in, uh, distorted the market, uh, really destroyed honest price discovery, monetized so much of the debt that the politicians have become, and I know this is not a delicate term, but I, I, I say it, they've been euthanized. You know, they're, yeah. they're brain dead. Right. <laughs> they've been right. lobotomized uh, when it comes to the fiscal equation. Back in my day, they feared deficits because they knew that uh, financing them honestly in the bond market would drive up yields and interest rates. Back home, people would find their mortgage rates going up. Small businesses would find the borrowing costs to fund their inventory uh, were, were becoming uh, painful or excessive. And the word would come back to Washington, you know, control the deficits, run some kind of uh, sane fiscal policy. Right. But now, in nowadays, 30 years later, the Fed has made all that unnecessary. The interest rates until the last few weeks uh, were less than 1% on the 10-year, which is crazy. In fact, last August, it touched, as uh, you might remember and many people remember, at 0.5, a half a right. percent for right. 10-year money in a world where the inflation rate is 2% is totally absurd. Uh, but anyway, uh, as a result of that, there is no longer any fear whatsoever of deficit uh, finance, of rising, in fact, exploding uh, public debts, because no pain is occurring back home. And if, if congressmen, I was one of them, so I know, don't hear from the local car dealers and farmers and small mm -hmm. manufacturers uh, uh, you know, they're happy to vote money for uh, any other interest groups that uh, might uh, line up. And that's exactly what's happened with this $6 trillion. So we have a broken system that's enabled by the Fed. And until we get, uh, a, you know, a sweeping house cleaning mm -hmm. at the Federal Reserve, um, you know, this is going to go on until they finally, you know, uh, push the system over the edge and we have some kind of unfortunate, uh, ma you know, major uh, financial catastrophe. Right. I would certainly hope that that can be avoided, but with each passing episode uh, and each uh, passing year and month, it becomes almost more uh, inexorable that we're heading uh, for a crash landing. I, I just yeah. don't see any way uh, around it. Yeah. It's hard to see any way out of it, and it, it seems to me that, as you say, the Fed is the enabler, and it's sort of anesthetized, I think you said euthanized, but I would yeah. say anesthetize uh, people to the pain of what lies ahead. I mean, it seems to me in the process we are destroying capitalism, David, because this massive deficit has to be financed. The, the Fed can't allow interest rates to creep up much more than they are now, I dare say. I saw the 10-year was at 1.7-something today, yeah. so it's gone yeah. up dramatically. But where were we recently um, when, um, when when our current Fed chairman uh, did a turnaround was, you know, we, we reached the level where the markets were starting to implode. And then he just turned around and pumped more money in the system. But it seems to me you can't have capitalism if you destroy the price of capital, which is interest rates. When yeah. you don't allow interest rates to go where the market needs them to go, you are essentially, and I don't suppose these congressmen have a clue, that we are that they are in fact allowing the Federal Reserve to destroy capitalism. And maybe they don't care in the Democratic Party. 
And maybe yeah. some Republicans don't either. I don't know. It seems to me what they're looking for is to tear apart our republic, basically, to repro- and to give us a democracy which becomes a mobocracy without any, any protection of the minorities. It seems to me that's where we're headed. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think uh, you, you, know, you put it uh, pretty succinctly. Um, you, on the other hand, you know, I don't think uh, congressmen are dumb. Uh, some of them are fairly well-read and educated, mm-hmm. but they go by uh, the squeaky wheel principle. Yeah. And as long as this thing drifts along and the uh, kind of mainstream narrative is that this is natural, you know, mm-hmm. you and I would think 0.5 on the 10 year was utterly yeah. unnatural, ridiculous, yeah. or even 1.5% yield when the running inflation rate averaged over any period of time is 2%, is also ridiculous. People don't put up 10 year money, uh, their savings, to have it eaten away by inflation with no return. And that's, that's essentially what the proposition is today. Yeah. But uh, Congressman, have lived with this uh, kind of uh, drift that we've had so long because the Fed has had its uh, big fat thumb on the supply-demand equation so heavily. And in the last year, you know, it's, it's really gone crazy. Uh, in August uh, uh, 2019, uh, when the uh, bond yield hit, a, you know, the, the low of uh, 50 uh, basis points, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Fed balance sheet was about 3.8 trillion, 3.7 trillion. It's now 7.7 trillion. So, incredible. Uh, you know, in, in that short period of time, they've uh, printed over four trillion dollars. Yeah. And all of that is is you know you can think of as just false demand for debt that's being hived off the market. Uh, put you know put in a vault at the Fed and thereby uh, totally uh, distorted uh, the, um, you know, price discovery process. You, you, you say that, and I, and I, I have a kind of uh, uh, an add-on to, to the thought, and that is the worst combination in the world is free money and free markets. Yeah. Just like the thing yeah. that doesn't work is capitalism without prices, of the most important right. items in the yeah, whole economy, right. which is the capital market. Okay, if, if, David, we're David, we're out of time already. It's it's incredible. <laughs> okay. We just got started. We just got warmed up a little bit here. And, yeah, uh, I think I'm so. I'm sorry yeah. to say. So, uh, real quickly, uh, what should people be doing? I mean, first of all, they should sign up for your letter because you have a lot of advice not not investment advice, but helping people understand the dynamics of what's going on. Uh, but aside from that. I guess people that are out of debt, where should they be putting their money? They have some extra money. Well, average people. The, the first thing is don't go for the siren songs. I'm hearing this one now yeah. that we went through this terrible thing last year, but look, behold, in front of us is another version of the roaring 20s yeah. a century later. No, no way, not possible. The 1920s were a totally different world than we yeah. have today. You don't even have to think about it. Mm-hmm. So I would say uh, you have to get out of the bond market and the stock market and stay clear no matter how tempting because when this thing adjusts it's going to adjust violently and rapidly before people can get out of the way and and that's a big i think there's almost a rule of physics here the longer they inflate this bubble the more uh traumatic 
and more violent and more rapid will be the adjustment when okay. you know, the last sucker finally buys. Uh, okay. The last, the last sucker. Yeah. We'll yeah. have to leave it go at that. We don't want to be the last sucker. That's for That's sure. For sure. Thank, David, thank you so much for being with us. It's always, it's always very, very good to have you. Thank you. Great and, to be uh, with we'll you. Look to do it again sometime soon. I hope. All right, sure. folks. Well, that is it for this week. Next week, Michael Hudson of Hand and Metals will be with us. Uh, Alistair McLeod will be with us to talk about Biden's last throw at the geopolitical dice. And uh, maybe we'll get Michael Oliver to come back on. I'm going to try. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.